For those of you that don't know, uh, in my family, I'm the oldest child. Uh, there's a seven, years gap, seven year gap from myself to my two younger brothers who are identical twins. This meant that throughout my childhood, I had seven years of wisdom and knowledge to pass on to my little brothers. Now, for some strange reason, my parents didn't see it this way. Believe it or not, they didn't think that I was being a good influence. In fact, my parents thought that I was actually leading my little brothers astray. My parents thought that I was always getting my little brothers into mischief. And my parents' favourite words that they would say to me over and over and over again were, Jeremy, you are seven years older than your brothers. You should know better. Sonali was mouthing that. Have you said that to your boys, Sonali? All the time, Rahul, I, I hear you, brother. It's, it's tough being the oldest, right? Tough being the oldest. Now, what was annoying is that my little brothers seemed to love parroting back to my parents whatever adventures I took them on and any antics that we got up to along the way. I remember when my little brothers, most likely influenced by movies and television, thought it was fun to roll up uh, fake cigarettes out of paper and pretend they were smoking. They were quite young, they were like seven years old. And they'd run around the house playing these different kinds of games with these fake cigarettes, either in their hand or in their mouth. Now one day as I was watching my little brothers playing, I thought it would be hilarious to light up the ends of these fake cigarettes <laughs> to give them a bit of a real smoking experience. <laughs> Next minute, they're coughing and spluttering as they tried to get the smoke out of their lungs. I won't lie, it was pretty darn funny. <laughs> However, later that day, as my brothers told my parents everything, for some, some strange reason, my parents didn't think that what I did was that funny. I remember this other time, my brother and I were target shooting with our BB guns, and we started having this huge argument about who was the better shot. I mean, I'm seven years older than my brother. How can he actually expect to be on par with me, let alone a better shot? In the midst of the argument, my brother said words that just put me in a battle of temptation. He looked at me and he said, Jeremy, you're such a bad shot, you wouldn't even be able to shoot me if you tried. Oh, these words, they were like fuel to my rebellious side. I looked at my brother, I looked at my BB gun, and I did what any responsible young teenager would do. I calmly lifted up the gun and shot my brother in the leg. <laughs> I still remember his smug grin transforming into complete shock before finally resulting in a flood of tears. It was brilliant. However, later that day, as my mum examined the round welt that was left on my brother's leg, for some strange reason, she didn't think that what I did was that brilliant. And I learned a very important lesson that day. Don't leave marks or bruises on your brothers that your parents can find later. Like I said, it was so annoying because my little brothers would just tell my parents everything. And although you could argue that my brothers were being the world's best accountability partners, I know that the real reason that they kept telling on me was simply because they enjoyed seeing their big brother getting into trouble. Now, as I got to my mid-teenage years, I started realizing that my brothers could not be trusted. And I was faced with two options. 
one, I could change my behavior and stop doing the things that I shouldn't be doing, or two, I could keep the things that I shouldn't be doing, I could keep doing the things that I shouldn't be doing and simply hide my behavior from my brothers so that my parents don't find out. I mean, those were my two options. And I'm sure you can imagine which option I chose. I wish I could say that I took the high road and changed my behavior to become a better human being, but we all know that is not the option that a teenager will choose. I decided to hide my behavior from my brothers and I kept doing the things that I shouldn't be doing. Not the best decision I made for the record, but I'm human, I've learned from it, and I like to think I turned out all right. Well, this morning we're doing a sermon on accountability. And what I've observed from my time in the church is that in a way we all have a natural tendency to act like I did when I was a teenager. You see, everyone in the church is human. And as a result, everyone in the church has areas in their lives that are being lived outside of God's ways. And one of the big dangers is that the enemy is so good at deceiving us and getting us to believe that we don't need to change. What's wrong with doing things our ways? What's wrong with living life on our terms? What's wrong with doing things that make us feel good? I mean, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really say you must love your neighbor? Did God really say you shall not gossip? Did God really say a man and a woman are to become one flesh? Did God really say you shall not steal, which probably includes downloading material that violates the terms and conditions? Did God really say? And so in a similar way to me hiding parts of my life from my brothers so that my parents wouldn't find out, We in the church have areas of our lives that we do our best to keep hidden and secret so that no one finds out. The problem is, can we really become godly and holy people if there are areas of our lives that remain hidden and unchanged and unchallenged? The Bible teaches us that if we want to become more in the image of God, then we need to have appropriate accountability in place. And believe it or not, appropriate accountability is when we have godly people in our lives that can challenge us about how we are living. Before we go any further, I want us to read our passage for today, which continues on from what Bex preached last week. But I know not everyone was here for that sermon, so this is just a rundown on what has happened thus far. We have King David. David is one of Israel's greatest kings and is described as a man after God's own heart. One day, David notices a beautiful woman named Bathsheba. Although David finds out that she is married, he has to have her. And so he commands her into his presence, sleeps with her, and uh uh-oh, she becomes pregnant. David tries to cover up his little whoops by bringing Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, home from war, hoping that he would sleep with her, um, sleep with his wife, and thus cover up the whole mess. Unfortunately, Uriah is too loyal, and he will not go home to his wife while Israel is at war. And so David has to think of a different way to cover up his little whoops. 
The only way that David can think to cover up his mistake is to send Uriah back to the battle, put him on the front line and send him to the most dangerous part of the battlefield so that Uriah can be struck down and killed by the enemy. This happens and therefore David can now marry Bathsheba and cover up this whole little mess. Problem solved. However, the text leaves us with the chilling reality of the situation in 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven, which Bex read last week, but it says, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. After these words, we then move into our text for today, which is 2 Samuel chapter 12. We're reading the first 13 verses. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who'd come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who'd come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why do you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Mennonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to the one who is close to you and he will sleep with your lives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die, but because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. The first point for us this morning is accountability requires courage. I believe there is so much for us to take from the very first verse. The first verse seems quite simple. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, I want to paint a bit of a picture here. We need to remember that in the ancient world, kings reigned with an iron fist. Kings made the laws. Kings decided what was right and wrong. And kings decided who would live and who would die. 
Now, Israel's king was meant to be different. Israel's king was meant to reflect God's ways and God's law to the people. However, as our previous chapter, 2 Samuel 11, has highlighted, David has gone a bit wayward. And as a result, David has assumed near absolute power. David is not reflecting God's ways to the people. Rather, David is now ruling with an iron fist. I mean, think about it. David saw a beautiful woman, so he commanded her into his presence. David liked what he saw, so he slept with her. David got her pregnant, and so he covered it up by having her husband murdered. David is making up the rules. David is deciding what is right and wrong, and David is even deciding who should live and who should die. In short, David is acting like God. And God says to the prophet Nathan, Hey, Nathan, I want you to go to King David, who is currently having no regards to my ways, and he's even having people murdered, and I want you to confront him about his sin. I want us to really grasp what's happening here. I mean, David is having people murdered to cover up his sin, and God is asking Nathan to go and confront this sin. I bet I know what Nathan was thinking as he walked to the palace. He was probably thinking, hey, Uriah, save me a spot. I'll be with you soon. I'm sure it was not lost on Nathan that he was potentially walking to his death. And yet Nathan obediently confronts David about his sin. This act demonstrates tremendous obedience as well as phenomenal courage. Nathan had no idea what his fate might be. All he knew is that he had to do what God said and hold David accountable for what had happened. I believe there's an important lesson in this for us today. If we see a brother or a sister in Christ walking outside of God's ways, then we need to have the courage to speak God's truth to them and hold them accountable. I sometimes believe that Christians today avoid speaking the truth to those around them out of fear that their relationship might be damaged. Unfortunately, this is always a possibility. When we step forward and courage and speak God's truth to someone, there is always a chance that they might not respond uh, positively. And this could affect your relationship with them. This was true for Nathan as he went to David. But what is more important, not rocking the boat of your friendship or potentially getting your friends right with God? If we really love our brothers and sisters in Christ, then I believe this means we'll speak truth to them when needed. I remember in one of my old churches, one of the gentlemen there had an affair and ended up leaving his wife and family to start a relationship with his new mistress. Now, to my knowledge, the only person in the entire church who tried to challenge this man about his life decision was the senior pastor. No one else in the church said anything. And this is becoming all too common in the modern church. People leave the tough conversations for the pastors. Now, don't get me wrong, this is definitely something that comes with our calling. But at the same time, I can't help but think that people need more than just the pastors to bring truth into their lives. This man from my previous church had so many good Christian friends, and I can't help but wonder, would things have been different if some of the friends had spoken up? Maybe, maybe not. It's hard to know. All I know looking back is that it is sad that it was only the pastor who challenged this man 
about his unbiblical behavior. Unfortunately, I believe we in the church are being influenced by an understanding of love that is not biblical. Today, love almost gets sold as supporting someone regardless of what they are doing. It's kind of the cultural understanding of love. I mean, this understanding of love doesn't make sense. I mean, if my four-year-old daughter says, Dad, can I go and play in the middle of that busy road? Do I just respond with, yes, sweetie, you go and play in the road. Just, just do, what it, do whatever makes you happy. I mean, most of us would conclude that in that situation, this is not love. Yet when we hypothetically see our adult friends go and play in the middle of the road, like the man in my previous church that was having an affair, most of us just seem to stand and watch rather than saying something. We need to learn from Nathan and have the courage to speak truth to our Christian friends when they're living outside of God's ways. I challenge you, if you see a brother or sister in Christ that's living outside of God's ways, please don't remain silent. Please don't just stand and watch. Have the courage to start a conversation and potentially win your friend back to God's ways. Now, how your friend chooses to respond, well, that's up to them. Yes, they might choose to ignore your advice and keep living their life unchanged, but at least you will know that you try to hold them accountable to God's ways. Second point, accountability requires love and care. You'll notice in our passage that Nathan doesn't just walk up to King David and say to him, you're an adulterer and a murderer and you should be ashamed of yourself. If Nathan spoke like that to King David, then his fate may have been the same as Uriah's. No, Nathan demonstrates love and care by engaging David in a story that would have tugged at David's heartstrings. You see, David was a shepherd boy. So when Nathan told him the parable about the rich man with lots of sheep and the poor man with a single sheep, this would have engaged David and David would have been able to relate. When David hears of the rich man, excuse me, rich man taking the poor man's single sheep, he's filled with compassion and as a result, David is outraged. And this provides Nathan the perfect opportunity to speak the truth to David and say, you are that man. Again, we need to learn from Nathan. And when we go to people with the truth of God, we need to make sure that we share God's truth with love and care. I believe this is why it says in John 1.17, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The truth is extremely important, but it always needs to be accompanied alongside God's grace. When God leads you to hold someone accountable, you need to make sure that you also demonstrate grace. You need to make sure that you show love and care as you speak the truth to them. Sometimes this can be as simple as saying to someone, I love you and I'll always be here for you, but I'm a little bit worried about some of the ways that you're living at the moment. We need to try and create a safe environment for the person so that they will feel safe to share with us and be open and honest. You see, I believe that one of the things that holds us back from sharing and being real with each other about our sins is simply embarrassment and fear of judgment. So as we speak truth to each other, we need to try and create a safe place. 
If you don't have a close relationship with the person God is leading you to hold accountable, you, you might need to talk to the pastor or the elders and try and work out the best way of delivering the truth in a way that will also leave the person feeling loved and cared for. When we hold people accountable, we do have to exercise wisdom and care, but we should not use this as an excuse to avoid having the difficult conversations. Another helpful tool so that you can share truth in a loving and caring way is do it by asking good questions. Just like Nathan engaged King David with a parable, a good question can engage the person and bring them to accountability in their own space and time. For example, one of my previous accountability partners would always end our time together asking two questions. First, he would look at me and he'd say, Jeremy, what question should I be asking you that you're hoping I won't ask? And then depending on what I'd say to that question, he'd follow that one up by asking, what have you been avoiding telling me that you know you should be telling me? I always dreaded being asked those two questions because it meant I had to be real and honest with him about what was going on in my life. So when God leads you to hold someone accountable, always show them love and care. This might be by affirming to them that you'll always be there for them, or it might be by asking them good searching questions that will get them to be open and honest with you in their time. Either way, we need to make sure that whenever we speak truth, that grace is always present. That leads to our next point. Accountability requires truthfulness. We don't need to spend a lot of time on this point because it should be pretty obvious that for accountability to work, then we need to be truthful with each other. If someone asks you the question, what have you been avoiding telling me that you know you should be telling me? I mean, you have a choice. You can respond with the simple, nothing, I, I think I've told you everything. Or you can tell the truth and tell them what is really going on. I mean, David's response in verse 13, it's short, but it's also so truthful and honest. I have sinned against the Lord. Accountability only works if we're honest with each other. If we're not going to be honest, then there's not much point. It's a waste of time. And that leads nicely into our final point, which is don't wait for Nathan. <laughs> You're liking this one, eh, Nathan? Wrong, Nathan. So last week, Bex preached a message challenging us to be constantly vigilant. In 1 Peter 5.8, it says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. When I think back to the first three sermons of 2023, one of the common threads that has appeared in every sermon is to be alert, to be on guard, to be constantly vigilant. And the best way that we can put this into practice is to not wait for Nathan. What I mean by this is that we shouldn't wait for someone to approach us and hold us accountable. If we really want to be on guard from any attack from the enemy, then you need to ask someone to be your Nathan. Therefore, if you don't have a Nathan, if you don't have an accountability partner, you need to get one as soon as possible. I would also add that your accountability partner, and hear me here, should be someone that is not your spouse. 
not your spouse. I'm not saying that you can't share with your spouse what is going on in your life. Rather, in my experience as I've worked with people, having someone outside of your marriage can be extremely beneficial and helpful, and sometimes they can challenge you in ways that your spouse cannot. So if you don't have a Nathan, if you don't have an accountability partner, I encourage you, make that the number one priority for this new year. Because we really need to understand if... if, if we want to become as godly and holy as possible, then we need the support of those around us. We need good accountability. Now, when it comes to selecting a Nathan in your life, there are two main criteria that you need to look for in your chosen person. First, is the person someone you can trust and who demonstrates maturity and wisdom when it comes to matters of faith? And second, is the person someone, and this is important, that will tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. These are the two main criterias that you need for look for in an accountability partner. However, it's also important when it comes to accountability to have good boundaries. Guys with guys, girls with girls, these types of things. Not only is it safe, but you'll also find that the genders naturally can struggle with different things. Therefore, a male can sometimes understand the struggles of a male a little better, just like a female can sometimes understand the female struggles a little better. When it comes to accountability, be safe, have good boundaries. Another thing that's important to keep in mind on this concept of not waiting for Nathan is to ask your Nathan the tough questions. I was recently having a session with my supervisor and he unlocked an area from my life that needed quite a lot of work. And as a result, he said to me, Jeremy, your first job is to go to your wife and ask her this question. Bex, in regards to this specific area from my life, what have you not been telling me that you want me to know? Now, when my supervisor said this to me, I thought this would be a complete waste of my time. I mean, Bex and I talked to each other about everything, and I knew what Bex thought about this area of my life, so I didn't think there was anything else I could, I could learn. My supervisor disagreed. So after my session, I went to Bex, and I said, okay, sweetie, this is probably a waste of time, but in regards to this specific area of my life, what have you not been telling me that you want me to know? Bex went on to answer that question, and boy, were my eyes opened. Turns out there was a lot I didn't know. <laughs> because of the sensitive nature of the topic, there are actually things Bex had not told me that were important for me to hear. So when I came to her and asked her that question, she felt that it was then safe to give me the honest answer. And this has changed our relationship for the better. The point, don't wait for Nathan. I challenge you, go to your accountability partner and initiate the conversation with them. Ask them. You might think your life is perfect, but go to your accountability partner and say, what is something that I need to know about how I'm living so that I can be more in the image of God? Like I said, you might think your life is perfect. I challenge you, go and ask them. Give them that window. By asking the question to your accountability partner, you're providing them the opportunity to have a real conversation with you. Their answer, I won't lie, their answer might surprise you. Their answer might be difficult to hear. 
their answer might reveal things about yourself that you didn't know. This is the point of accountability. If we want to be in the image of God, then we need to have trusted people that can tell us what we really need to hear. And this is why our attitudes are actually the most important thing that we need to get right if we want to be holy and godly people. Because for all of this to work, then we need to demonstrate humility in all that we do. I've had situations where I've gone to people, I've held them accountable, I've spoken God's truth to them, and they've responded to me saying, well, this is between me and God, and I'm actually quite happy doing things my way. To this day, I still don't get how some Christians think it's okay to deliberately live in sin. Paul answers this issue in Romans 6, 1 to 2, where Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Yes, we're going to make mistakes. Yes, we're all going to sin, but we should never give up seeking God's ways and living for His kingdom in all that we do. We should care about what God says and about how to live life because He has created us to be His image bearers here on earth. We are to reflect God to the world around us. It's not about our ways. It's not about our wants or our desires. It's about God and His call upon our lives. We need to constantly seek humility because it is only from a humble heart that these words can be prayed. Not my will, but your will. Accountability will never work if we're not willing to show humility and listen to the truths that God might reveal to us from those around us. So as we look to 2023 and beyond, let's become a church that humbly seeks God's ways in all that we do. Let's become a church that not only has the courage to hold each other accountable to God's word, but who will also listen to God's word when it is spoken to us. Let's pray. Music team, do you want to come on up? Oh, loving Father, we thank you for the life of King David. We thank you, as Bex mentioned last week, that despite a huge shortcoming, despite a huge fall, he was still described as a man after your own heart. He was still a great king. His mistakes, once confessed, did not bound him to be a mistake. He was a success because even despite his failings, he sought you. He confessed to you. And you forgave him and enabled him to continue to be all he could be. Yes, there were consequences for his sin, just like there are consequences for sin today. But may we be a, a people, a church that can also be described as people after God's own heart. And we thank you for the life of Nathan and the tremendous obedience he showed when you called him to go and hold David accountable. What an act! But he did it. And as a result, David confessed and came right with you. And I pray we can have that kind of wisdom, obedience, and courage today. 
that when we see our brothers and sisters going off track, that we will be able to go to them and speak your word to them, always in a, with a foundation of love and care, not to shame or tear people down, but to lift them back up into a right relationship with you, into them being all they were created to be. So Lord, help us become that kind of people. But also, Lord, it goes both ways. And when people come to us, Lord, with areas that we need to look at or improve, we pray that those natural walls that pop up, that cause defensiveness, we pray that your spirit will break down those walls, Lord. And rather than getting defensive when people bring us God's word, that we will be open to what you might be saying to us. So Lord, that all comes from a spirit of humility. And we pray that upon our church, Fano, that we will be humble people. Because as it says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If we want to be heavenly people, we need to be poor in spirit. We need to be humble. So Lord, we pray that we will continue to work this stuff out. We pray we'll continue to live your word. And we pray for all the things you have in store for us in 2023 and beyond as we step out in faith into what you have for us as a church. So Lord, we love you. We seek you. And it's in your, the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.